Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. For many, our country has never felt more divided, racially, politically, spiritually. People are hurting and feel angry, afraid and confused. Who will heal our land? Only God can bring healing and reconciliation where we need it most. Through Christ, we can embrace race, experience unity, oneness, all despite who our next president is. The solution starts with God. In this series, we will ask God to heal the divided states of America and each week give a solution on where we can start now. Good morning, everyone. Oh, you can do better than that. You got an extra hour of sleep. Good morning, everyone. There we go. Beautiful. Uh, it's great to be here, and I always look forward uh, to getting down here with some of our South Texas family and, uh, and, and also get to enjoy, uh, you know, I don't know if y'all, if y'all heard some of that, you know, Northeast uh, coming out of our sister in the crap. That was... <laughs> I was loving that. We, we, we were, I think Ruben and I were people at the airport last night. We were talking about my, my first like week of meetings I ever preached was in uh, a place called El Dorado, Texas. And I got up and I'm from the north, you know. So, I mean, I, I got up and I was preaching and I said, well, you know, when I was growing up, I, my dad had spanked my butt. Well, I, I would go and I would preach Sunday to Wednesday. And the man that I was doing my internship with, he would come and preach Thursday and Friday. And so Thursday, he calls me uh, to his hotel room and uh, begins to, you know, tell me how offended this pastor's been at me for like three days. Uh, and I'm like, oh, man, what did I do? He's like, because you said butt from the platform. And I, I was like, what? You know, like, like we say that all the time. I'm north. It's like, it, it's amazing how you go from one place to another. And, and you know, listen, so much, so much stuff is, is, is cultural, but you made me feel at home this morning, sisters, <laughs> a little bit, but, uh, even though I feel it here, listen, what you know, we love your pastors and, uh, believe in pastor Jared and Shelly and, uh, the whole family and the whole team. You guys got a great team here. I know he calls it the dream team, but y'all do. There's no doubt about it. And it's, uh, it really is a great pleasure for me to be able to be one of those that speak into this house. And it's always a great pleasure. And, of course, this is my first time here now with Pastor Kevin and Lisa here, all the way down from the mighty metropolis of Spur, Texas. And uh, I'm, I'm so proud of them. And they're doing, I, I see their kids flourishing and, uh, and how things are going well, excited uh, for them. And uh, we've got a bunch of exciting stuff happening uh, at home. Uh, man, my, uh, uh, of course, you know, y'all that are my Facebook friends, you know, I'm putting up my granddaughter's pictures all the time and I'm still going to do that. That ain't going to matter. And we just actually got back from our uh, yearly leadership summit in Aruba, 
Bahama, come on. So if I look a little more tan than normal, that, that's, I'm not looking like I'm much of a cracker right now as I normally am. And uh, but, uh, that's been because of that. So we were able to get a little rest, which was very nice. I actually flew in Monday and then had a few days. And then Nate flew in to be with us on Wednesday. And he was with us the last few days. And then I flew down here. And then I'm here for a couple of days. Don't, please don't forget tonight. Uh, I know you don't always do Sunday night services. Uh, normally when we come down, Sunday nights, it gives a little little more time to not only just kind of unload a little bit more, but it gives time also for some personal ministry, whether it's prophetic or, or laying out of hands for the sick or whatever. And so I encourage you to come back tonight. I, I have a special word on, on understanding how, how we view God. Do you, do you realize that how we view God is how we view ourselves and then how we treat others? Our, our view of God has everything to do with how we view us because according to 2 Corinthians 3, we beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are changed into that image from glory to glory. And then, then you go on a little further in chapter 4 and it tells us what that glory is and what's in that mirror and it's the face of Jesus Christ. So whatever Jesus we view in the mirror has everything to do with how we feel about us but then how we will treat other people. Uh, you know, if, if, if your view of God was like a, a man by the name of John Calvin, John Calvin, who brought a few good things to the body of Christ, and the more I'm studying, I'm realizing how much stuff we believe that was crap that, that John Calvin brought to the body of Christ. But John Calvin's view of God was angry, vindicative, and retributive. And so John Calvin one day decides he has a man who is a theological nemesis, in Stockholm, Sweden, a guy who would argue with him theology, very in dialogue, very kindly, and John Calvin got tired of it one day, and he just went and had Jacob Sylvanus uh, grabbed, tied him up at a post, and set him on fire. You know, it's like, at least nowadays, they just unfriend you on Facebook, you know, I mean, or call you a heretic. I mean, he, he lit the dude on fire, all right? I mean, that's pretty intense right there, but you see, his, his, his view of God was that God had no problem wiping people out and killing people. And rather than viewing God in the face of Jesus, because God looks like Jesus, someone please say amen, God has always looked like Jesus. There's never been a time he hasn't looked like Jesus. We just didn't know it, but now we do, thank God. One of my favorite authors, that's one of his main sayings. And, and, and once you view Jesus, because no man had seen God at any time, according to John 1, which seems like a complete contradiction, because five times in the Old Testament people saw God, but the truth is they didn't see him clearly. They were still looking through a veil. And so they saw him. Moses talked with God face to face, but it doesn't say he saw God necessarily face to face. It was not clear to those in the Old Testament. Testament. It's now clear to us because we've got Jesus as our example. And so my theology is getting simpler. If I read something and it don't look like Jesus, I question it. That's not too bad, is it? I mean, that's just nice and simple right there. Just you keep it Jesus-centered, then you're in pretty good shape no matter what. And I just can't see Jesus burning anybody at the stake. Come on, you with me? So, But you see, how you view God then is how you view you and then how you treat other people. And so until our view of God is correct, and some of us have been in church 30 or 40 years, and our view of God still needs some adjusting uh, because it's not been the God that looks like Jesus. And so uh, we're going to have a good time with that, unpacking that tonight. I really encourage you to come back, and we'll minister prophetically and do some other things with that. Also, back there at the table, I, I do have my USBs. I know a lot of you have purchased those in the past. There's 63, 64 hours of teaching between the four USBs. Uh, do a special price of uh, buy three, get one free. It's 100 bucks for all four, 64 hours. So you can stop back and talk to me afterwards. I'll have those out tonight also. Uh, otherwise, time for my assignment. Are you ready for the word? 
All right, turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of John. Uh, the book of John, chapter 18. John 18. John 18. I'm going to start in verse number 33 of John 18. John 18, starting verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him and said, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered and said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of or from this world. For if my kingdom were from or of this world, then my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus said, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Now, I love the picture that we have in, in this passage right here. The picture that I love is traditionally, depending on uh, how you have been raised in, in either church or, or maybe you had nothing to do with uh, church in your background or anything else, but a lot of what has been taught to us and things that I taught for many years is more of a view of God through what I call a judicial mindset, uh, that means that we're normally going over to the book of Job and we have this idea that God is this big judge sitting on a throne with a gavel and he's got you know white hair and a big long white beard. And then we've got the devil who's the prosecuting attorney who is he's constantly uh, you know, prosecuting and attacking us. And then Jesus is our advocate. The Bible, the word for advocate is he's our, he's our lawyer. He's our heavenly litigator, our defense attorney. And that he is the one that is then constantly uh, going against what the devil is saying to the Father on our behalf. And so we get a mindset of even coming boldly to the throne, rather than coming into an actual throne, we still think we're coming into a courtroom, and our mindset of God is from a judicial mindset. But what Jesus came to show us in the New Covenant is that it changed from a judicial mindset to a family mindset. Isn't it interesting that First John says that when we sin, when we, when we mess up, we don't have an advocate with the judge, we have an advocate with the Father. So I'm no longer coming into a courtroom, I'm now coming into a living room, and Daddy is now sitting on the lazy boy, and he's saying, climb up in my lap. Will I correct you? Yes. Will I adjust you? Yes. But it's going to be for your redemptive property. It's going to be reconciliatory. I, I'm not here to bring a gavel down and declare you guilty, and, and the devil is not in his presence anymore accusing anything or anyone. He has been cast out. Someone say amen. So we are not coming into a mindset of a God that is a judge seated on a throne because even the father declared to the son, all judgment I've given to my son. And yet Jesus went on to say, and I judge no one. So it's time we begin to see that he's a father. Isn't it interesting? Back here in the spring, I did a, I did a series at our church on the three main nouns that describes God. First John tells us that God is light, God is life, and God is love. Nearly everything else that describes God are adjectives. 
You know, anytime I, you know, I've got my Facebook sheriffs, I think we all do, and I'll, I'll put something like God is love, and someone will always put, oh, but he's also holy. But he's also righteous. He's also just. And I'm like, you know, all that's true, but those are adjectives. They're describing a part of his character, but not who he is. They describe what he does. But who he is, he's light. And there's no darkness in him. That's good news right there. He's, he's life, and he only desires to produce life in us. And he is love. And so everything else I look at must come down to the mindset. I must start with the mindset of God is light, life, and love. And in the middle of that, I then interpret everything else. Otherwise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess it up in some form. I'm going to put my ideas into it. And so... The beautiful picture that I see in this passage that is amazing is we tend to have this picture of God the judge and we having to stand in his courtroom. But yet when God shows up in the flesh, when God shows up in Christ, he allows man to judge him. I want you to see the, the, the flip that almost gets switched right here because rather than man coming into the courtroom of heaven in this passage God decides to condescend if you may and he comes into the courtroom of Pilate and by the way Pilate Pilate is is it, it's a word that gives an inference uh, of dart thrower so Pilate is a picture if you may of that which would throw darts and Jesus rather than fight him and argue with him Jesus, God in flesh, in the incarnation, allows humanity to put him on trial. See, when Jesus showed up, man, he messed everything up so bad, especially if you were a Jew. I mean, he flipped the script, man. The Jews were expecting their Messiah to show up and kick some tail. They were waiting for the Messiah to show up, overthrow the Romans, set them up of God's chosen people, and everyone else of the earth must come and bow before their throne in Jerusalem. That's why James and John, they're like, hey man, who gets to sit on your right? Who gets to sit on your left? Man, we want to be the ones sitting with you. And Jesus shows up and he messes everything up because after he comes out of the river Jordan and the Father's voice from heaven says, this is my son, hear him. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness and for 40 days, people all around Israel are talking about him. They're like, we were out in the wilderness with this crazy John guy who likes to eat bugs and, and, and wear crazy clothes. And, and, and we all of a sudden, he put this guy in the water and a voice boomed from heaven that says, this is the one. This is who you're looking for. And it's like, man, man. And they're telling everybody. And so Jesus comes out after 40 days and I can see him walking into the synagogue. Everybody's like, that's him. That's him. That's who they were talking about. That's him. It's the Messiah. And he gets up and he opens the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to declare a messianic declaration of the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is now upon me. And they're like, yeah, here he is, man. Our Messiah is showing up. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the wounds of the broken heart. And man, he's declaring, and they're like, yes, yes, our Messiah is finally here. And he gets to the last verse, and he doesn't say it. He shuts the book. He sits down, and by the way, I don't know if you've realized this or not, but he sat down in the seat that was always empty 
because it was a seat in the synagogue only for the Messiah. He sits down in the Messiah's seat because in the temple there was no sitting. It was standing because the old covenant was all about works, law, and labor, and struggle. He sits down at rest and he says, this is now fulfilled in your hearing because the last verse says, these are the days of the vengeance of our God. That was their favorite verse, man. They're like, yes, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to whoop our enemies. And instead, Jesus leaves it out, sits down, says, this is now fulfilled. See, the mindset of the Jews is the Messiah was going to show up and man, he was going to wipe everybody out. That's why James and John, when Jesus isn't received in a couple cities, James and John says, man, let's be like Elijah and let's call fire out of heaven. Let's fry these cities because these are the days of Elijah. No, they're not. These are not the days of Elijah. These are the days of Jesus. And then Jesus says, you don't know what spirits you're of, boys. You know what? You want to call fire out of heaven? This is a new day. It's a new day dawning. I'm not bringing war to the earth. I'm bringing peace to the earth. I'm the prince of peace. Peace on earth, goodwill towards all men. He said, I'm here to show you a new way. I'm here to show you that the kingdom of God is not from this world. Its axis, its genesis is not found in violence and anger and retribution. It's not found in warring and fighting, you know, even though MMA is okay. So, hallelujah. Ruben and I were talking about, I've got a, a, a guy, he's been connected to me for years. His name's John Rankin. Uh, you can go on, if you go on Facebook, put in the fighting preacher and he'll pop up. And uh, he trained special forces in Andan combat uh, in Tennessee. Uh, but he had a whole, whole fight church. And I remember John, uh, there was a, a movie done about him back about eight years ago, and he was being uh, interviewed by, uh, on Fox News, that Gretchen, I can't remember her last name, I don't think she's on there anymore. But anyway, he's, she says, how can a man of God promote violence? He said, I'm not promoting violence. He said, the word violence comes from the word violate. And the only way you can do violence on someone is you violate them to do something they don't want you to do. He said, this is sport. And I said, good answer. (laughs) I was like, I called him on the phone. I said, that's better than I would have ever thought of. I said, that's that's actually really good. Uh, Because, you know, if you're going to shut that down, then you got to shut down any sport that, you know, pushes someone just a little bit. But anyway, hallelujah. See, for, for, for way too many years, we've had a mindset. A lot of you probably haven't experienced this, but I've gone to churches for years. They start out every service. Singing a song, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. I'm a soldier in the army. And isn't it amazing that there's only like two times in the New Testament Paul uses an analogy or a metaphor of a soldier. And we try to have an army mentality saying the church is the army of God. The truth is the army of God are angels. We are sons, not an army. I'm not here to go to fight anybody. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't, we, we, we don't fight human beings. We don't, the only thing we fight are ruling thought patterns and systems and, and, and principalities and powers, which are not just demon forces floating around. It's actual, anyway, I don't have time to get into that. Read my myths and mistranslations. I talked about that on Facebook. But Jesus is... is, is In this situation, he's allowing humanity now to judge him. It's like God 
totally flips the idea. And rather than me standing in judgment of you, I'm going to allow you because it's always been your issue with me. It's never been my issue with you. See, that's been the problem from the get-go is we've had this idea that because these two kids rebelled, that daddy has been ticked off for thousands of years. How many of you stay ticked off at your kids for a long time? I mean, see, Jesus came to reveal the Father. No father stays ticked for years. And if you do, you got some serious issues you need to do a session with Nate. I'm just telling you right there. If you get that offended with your kids, you got issues, and it got nothing to do with your kids. See, that is why 2 Corinthians 5, when I was here with you earlier in the year, I shared it with you. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He was not reconciling himself to the world. It was not his issue with us. It was always our issue with him. Adam and Eve hid from God. God didn't hide from Adam and Eve. Our sin keeps us from him, but our sin doesn't keep him from us. Us. He's still pursuing us. He's still running after us. And when Cain killed Abel, God did not come and destroy him. God loved him so much, he touches his sin by putting his finger on his forehead and marking him so no one else would kill him. That doesn't sound like God can't look on sin. He not only looks on it, he touches it. Sin is not kryptonite to God. He doesn't get around sin and go, oh, oh, oh. Because you had a bad week, I cannot come a thouest in your presences. Matter of fact, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And God runs towards sin. He doesn't run away from sin because he wants to eradicate it. Because sin is destructive because of what it does to us, not because of what it does to him. He hates it because of what it does to me. Not what it does to him. Every parent hates destructive things that their kids are getting into because they know it's going to harm them. See, something, when we begin to realize this, now let me, i got to get to the crux of this. Help me, Jesus, this Sunday morning. I'm full today. I've been reading too much. I sit on vacation to read. Family wants to play. I want to just sit by the pool, read under a palm tree, sip a pina colada. Hallelujah. That's my idea of vacation. <laughs> I don't even care about the ocean. I don't like the salt in my mouth. It irritates me after a few minutes. Just, just give me the pool, man. I'm good. <laughs> Jesus is being questioned by Pilate, and Pilate says pretty much this. If you're a king, where's your kingdom? Prove it. If you're a king, where's your kingdom? And Jesus says something powerful. He says, my kingdom isn't from here. Isn't it amazing everybody missed his first coming because they didn't understand his kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. And all kinds of folks have been missing all of his comings because they're still waiting for something natural. Hallelujah. Selah, you think about that one for a minute. My kingdom isn't from here, for if it were, my servants would fight. I want to stop right there because I think this is something God has been working on me for 26 years. See, I, I, I was raised a good portion of my life, and my, my whole family's from there. Uh, raised in a town called Bay City, Michigan. Our church is in Saginaw, but Bay City. And Bay City 
Bay City is per capita, per capita, Bay City has more bars per capita than any city literally in the world. But Bay City is where the Tough Man contest started. And uh, actually, that was the precursor to MMA, to, to everything else. It was just, I mean, good friends of mine I used to work out with in a gym, their uncle was the one that got it shut down for like five or six years because he got kicked in the temple. And he was in a vegetative state for like 30 years. Uh, but in Bay City, all everybody did was drink, get high, and fight. I mean, it was just, you know, you just fought. That was like fun, you know. Uh, and that was just what it was all about. I mean, it was, for some reason, it was a bunch of farmers. I mean, I had friends that their uncles and their brothers were all a bunch of big old farmers, and they just go from town to town uh, around the area and just look for the toughest people to whip them. I mean, that was like weekend enjoyment. You know, I mean, it was just fighting. And I used to make fun of preachers that were lovers rather than fighters. It took me 20 years of preaching for God to convince me you're supposed to be a lover, not a fighter. Because I like fighting. I mean, these missing teeth aren't because I'm a redneck from Michigan. I got knocked out. (laughs) Or, or a, blue, a blue neck. We don't have much rednecks up there. It's too cold. We're blue necks. Sun only comes out so often. To just get your neck too red. I remember making fun of preachers that would preach on love, 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 love. Because when I decided I was going to serve God, I was like, okay, now serving this Jesus guy, I, you know, I probably shouldn't use my fists anymore. That's probably... You know, not really what I'm supposed to do. But I found out, you know what? I have a near photographic memory, and I'm, I'm, I'm smarter than most people. So I can fight you with theology. I make you look stupid. But I'm still going to fight. It's just a different kind of fight. I just found out that now I can fight a different way, but boy, it's still the same spirit. And boy, nanana boo-boo, I know more than you do. And rather than really learn how to walk in love, it was just learning how to fight a different way. The sad thing is, is most of Christianity is known more for our fighting than our loving. I mean, let's be honest, if you were to grab most people on the street and ask them about churches and Christianity, they'd say a bunch of crazy bigots. They're, 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 they're all, you know, shame-based. They're, they're, they're hypocrites. And, and then, of course, everybody brings up Westboro Baptist, who is not me. You know, I mean, picketing people and screaming at people. And now, this year, help us, Father. I'll be so glad when we get to Wednesday. Because now everybody's fighting. I mean, I've had friends unfriend friends because of their political views. And now you got people getting up and saying, if you vote for this person, you're not even a Christian. Like my Christianity has anything to do with how I vote. My Christianity has to do with Jesus. Thank you very much. But we're going to fight about something, man. I mean, you got Democrats fighting Republicans. You got, you got Republicans fighting Democrats. Then you got a bunch of people out there saying, I think y'all are nuts. I just don't want nothing to do with none of this mess. And I mean, it's just battle royal. And then we've got it going on in the church. We've got Catholics fighting Lutherans and Lutherans fighting Baptists and Baptists fighting the Pentecostals and the Pentecostals fighting the Charismatics. And, and it just goes all the way around. And we've got all this fighting. But Jesus said, 
if my kingdom were from here, my servants would fight. In other words, because it's not, my servants don't fight. Matter of fact, what's interesting is this, this phrase, fight, in the Greek language means this. It's translated, they don't contend. They don't fight. They don't strive. And they don't agonize. That right there just described my whole life growing up in the Pentecostal church. Because everything was about striving. I got to please God. I got I to serve God. I mean, everything was about agonizing. I mean, I remember whole sermons. You know, you got to come to the altar and get a hold of the horns of the altar. I never did find them horns. I don't know. I don't know where the horns are at the altar. I mean, but I mean, you, I mean, you have a free gift of the Holy Spirit living in you. And they say, you got to agonize to receive your prayer language and be baptized. You got to go and you got to tarry. You got to strive, struggle, agonize because everything with God. I mean, I preached a series of sermons in the 90s. You got to fight for your right to walk in the light. You got to fight for your right. Kim Clement was jumping on me back then, just doing that whole prophetic flow, right? You got to fight for your right to walk. You were in some of them services, I think. And of course, my, my favorite verse was the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The problem is, is you actually study that in the original language, and it's a horrible translation. To believe that Jesus, who everything about him was nonviolent, everything about him, and I'm going to get to the two verses that everybody says he is. To believe that that Jesus was saying, the only way you get into heaven is through violence? What? If you look at some other translations, it gives, a, it gives better understanding that the kingdom of heaven is something that you lay hold of and, 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 and forceful men lay hold of it. It's not, about, it's not about doing violence against something or against someone else. Jesus came. Matter of fact, on the cross, he allowed us to do violence to him to finally rid us of our mindset of violence. And when violence is being done to him, look at his reaction. His reaction isn't, Father, would you just come wipe all these crazy people out? His reaction is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. His response to anger and violence wasn't returning. That, that's why Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is so radical. You've heard said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, don't render evil for evil. I, I say, bless those that despitefully use you. Love your enemies. Ooh. And by the way, that was the word rebuking the scriptures. It wasn't the word rebuking the word because the word wouldn't rebuke himself. Anyway, hallelujah. Jesus was amazing at reinterpreting and dealing with stuff and, and, and attacking stuff that was in one season. And he'd say, Listen, man, you'd heard said, in other words, the law that was given by angels said to you this, but now I'm giving you a new way of thinking because I didn't say that. But it's in the Bible. He inspired it. doesn't mean he said it. There's a lot of things I've said that I've been inspired to say, and I was wrong. Are y'all still here? Are y'all doing okay? I'm I've been inspired <laughs> to say a whole lot of stuff. I'm going to behave this morning. 
He said, if my kingdom were from here. In other words, whatever is causing you to struggle and strive and agonize, it's not the kingdom of heaven. Because my yoke is easy. Now listen, that doesn't mean that there will not be struggles in life. But we're not struggling with him. We're not agonizing to try to get his blessing. I'm already blessed because of Jesus. I'm not trying to earn his love or earn his favor. I've already been reconciled according to 2 Corinthians 5. Matter of fact, like five times 2 Corinthians 5 says that we have been reconciled. And that word reconciled means to be brought into favor. Our message to the world is not turn or burn. Our message to the world is because of the cross of Christ, you've been brought into favor with God. But if you don't know it, you don't enjoy the benefits of it. That's why you've got to believe it by grace through faith. That is why somebody has to declare the gospel to you because there was an emancipation proclamation that was declared 2,000 years ago. You're no longer a slave or an orphan. You're now a son. Everything was completed 2,000 years ago, but if you don't hear it, you don't enjoy the benefits of it and you'll still act like a slave when you're actually a son. That is why our ministry and the word that has been given to us is a word of reconciliation. It is a word of being brought into favor with God. And then he says what that message is. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins. You know what that word also means? Sins, trespasses. Watch this now. Falling away. Missteps. Anybody had any missteps this week? Lapses. That's why I love studying the original language. He said, God is not counting your sins, your trespasses, your missteps, your falling away, or your lapses against you. That's pretty good news. Matter of fact, that sounds like really good news. And that, guess, guess what? That's the message we're supposed to be proclaiming. It's the only thing ever called the ministry and explains what the ministry is in the new covenant. Paul tells us to do the work of the ministry, but he doesn't tell us what it is. Second Corinthians 5, he tells us what it is. It's a ministry of reconciliation. It's a ministry letting people know that, listen, you don't have to fight, struggle, strive, or agonize to get God to love you. You don't have to fight, struggle, or agonize to get him to bless you. He's already made up his mind to bless you. It's already in his heart. But if my kingdom were from here, see, I'm, I'm learning the older that I get, anything that's causing me to agonize strive and struggle. It's not the kingdom of heaven. It gives me a good picture that I'm struggling with something from this earth, the kingdom of this world, and not the kingdom of heaven. He said, my servants don't, don't do this. So let me, let me get to this, and then I'll wind this down. Anytime you start talking about Jesus being nonviolent, people always bring up two instances. And these were my go-to, my favorite. But he went into the temple and kicked some butt. Didn't he go in there and whip some boys and throw them out all by? He didn't even take the big 12 in there with him. Just Jesus went in there, and he was a bad, he was bad. I mean, he wiped everybody. I mean, that's how I used to preach it, man. Of course, the problem is, is when you study all, all of the Gospels in the instance one of them, it says he actually sat down, took three strands of cords, 
and made a whip. Because I've had people argue with me, no, no, Jesus went into the temple and he was mad. I said, no, he wasn't, he was angry. Anger is not a bad thing. God tells us be angry, but don't sin. There's good things to be angry about. I think, I think you know, the sex slave trade, you should be angry about that. Cancer, you should be angry. The craziness in our country right now should cause us a little frustration. Come on, you hear me? I mean, there are good things to be angry about. Social justice issues, there's good things to be angry about. But to say God got mad means he lost control. And if the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is self-control, God never lost control. Because when you get mad, you ain't just angry. You mad. You done lost it. I mean, you lost control when you get mad. Does God get angry? Yes. Does he get mad? That means he'd have to lose self-control. Are y'all here? Are we still doing okay? All right. And so here God manifests in flesh in Christ. He sits down, and you know how long it would take to take three leather cords and make a whip? I mean, I doubt he's sitting there just He's just working up his anger. He's just getting really PO'd so he can go in there and kick some butt. Matter of fact, we don't have any example. Even, even people that have studied this to the nth degree have said the purpose for the whip was to drive out animals and the whip wasn't for humans. Jesus didn't come to whip. He came to be whipped. He did not come to impart violence. He came to remove the mindset of violence. But he goes into the temple and he starts turning over tables. And if you want to understand the purpose of what was going on, it's found in the passage because he said, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves and my father's house is called to be a house of prayer for all nations. And the reason he got angry is because the Jews were relegating the Gentile people who came into Judaism. They were selling them they were selling them uh, in, the, in the one, it was called the Gentile outer court. They were selling them inferior sacrifices to offer. In other words, they had a mindset of us and them and those people. And yet God said, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And the Jews were saying, it's just for us. And so what angered Jesus was the injustice towards the other the injustice towards the marginalized, the people that weren't being paid attention to. Matter of fact, I mean, I mean, do you realize that the Gospels are written with a mindset, not from the victor, but from the victim? I don't know if you ever thought about that. You know that when history is recorded, it's also rec- always recorded from the mindset of the victor, of the people that won. The Gospels are actually recorded from the mindset of the oppressed. It changes the whole mindset because Jesus came to set captives free. And so here, Cleans the temple, he drives out the animals, turns over the tables. This wasn't an act of violence. This was an act of righteous anger and to fulfill a verse. Number two, the next one always gets quoted. And we gun lovers love this one. And I include myself. Jesus turns to his disciples in Luke and he says this. He said, in times past, I told you to not take any extra clothes. I told you to not take an extra purse or extra money, and I told you not to take a sword. But now I say to you, take some extra clothes with you. Take an extra purse with some extra money, and 
bring a sword. We're like, woo, Jesus was for it. Because, you know, we got to find one. I mean, you can find a scripture to prove anything you want. <laughs> the, the problem is, is what's problematic is it goes on in the next verse and it says this. Um, well, master, we have two. I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I read my Bible, stuff like that just pops off the page. He's like, I, I want you now to take up a sword. And someone, one of the disciples says, so we have two. And he says, well, that's enough. Enough for what? I mean, if he told all 12 of them to take up swords, they said, well, we've got two. And he says, that's enough. But then he goes on and he quotes Isaiah 54 and he quotes an Old Testament scripture. He said, for it must be as the prophet declared that he must be numbered among the transgressors. Because you see, in the Jewish culture at that time, they were under Roman rule. And being under Roman rule, whenever there was the seven major feasts that manifest three times a year in Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, there would be anywhere from a million to three million Jews come from all over the known world to worship at that moment. And Rome knew this could be an accident waiting to happen. And what this could lead to is a bunch of people that are ready to, to be in collusion with each other against Rome. And we don't want riots. We don't want a war. And so they made it illegal for 10 or more men in a group to be carrying two swords or more. If you were a group of 10 men carrying two or more swords, you were considered then a, a, a criminal, okay? So when Jesus said, now take up a sword, and they said, we have two, he says that's enough because it must be fulfilled in the scriptures. I'm not going to the cross as a martyr. I'm supposed to go to the cross as a criminal so I can relate with the worst of you. Problem is, is the next chapter, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter pulls out the sword and uses it. And Jesus rebukes him and he says, enough. I never told you to use it. I just told you to bring it. And then he heals Malchus's ear. He's here to show you that old covenant mindset would be to cut off your ear. But the heart of the king, I'm here to be the healer. I'm here to heal. By his wounds you are healed. I'm not here to just remove the old nature. I'm here to remove a sickened sin condition. I'm here to come to heal you of the mess that you are, man. Out of an amazing act of love. And he heals the man's ear. He shows, I'm the opposite of what you are. Listen, do, do, I, have, I, I have a few friends of mine that are, that are apostles. One of them, he's one of the leading apostolic fathers in the underground church in Iran. Who, by the way, they're having five to 10,000 people a week saved. There's, there's an incredible... Now, we never hear about it over here because we're run by... Hallelujah. Media that is not optimistic. Let's just put it that way. Very pessimistic. But I mean, I'm telling you, God's doing some amazing stuff in the Middle East right now. Do you know how many Muslims are receiving Christ because of what ISIS is doing? Church always grew during persecution. Always. Matter of fact, what, what, what is happening is ISIS is going up and killing little five-year-old kids. And, and while the parents are holding the child, weeping, they come to kill the parents. And, the, and while other while other nominal Muslims are watching, and what's happening is, is the parents are looking at them and they're saying, we forgive you, we still love you, and so does Jesus. In the midst of someone just killing their child. Now let's be honest, most of us, we'd want to go take a sword from them and cut their head off. Huh? Because that, that's an American, that's the American way. But instead, they're willingly laying down their life, and now these Muslims are getting saved like crazy because they're saying only the divine 
in someone could respond like that. Only the divine, when someone is hurting them, would say, I forgive you. What? Do you know that for the first 300 years or so of Christendom, we don't have any example of Christians taking up arms against anyone trying to kill them? Because it wasn't the message of the gospel. They got quiet in here. I know I'm talking to Americans who celebrate every 4th of July. Hallelujah. Our independence. But my kingdom isn't from here. If my kingdom were from here, then you'd have a mindset of fighting. Listen, do you want your marriage to function? Stop fighting. Do you want promotions at work? Be the peacekeeper at work. The peacemaker. Be the one that walks up while two people are arguing. Say, whoa, 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 let's calm this situation and allow, allow the kingdom of heaven to flow out of you because the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. Everywhere we go, man, we're anointed to be releasers of peace. Isn't it amazing that Jesus rises from the dead and the first thing he says to his disciples when he sees them, he says to them, first of all, peace be still. And then he says to them this, he said, my peace I have and my peace I leave with you. I mean, he didn't say I'm leaving my, just my authority and my power. He said, I'm leaving my peace with you. He even told us how to win cities. He said, if you want to go in and win a city, he said, go house to house and find a man of peace. He said, if you'll find a man of peace that has influence in the city, spend time pouring into him. The city will be reached through the man of peace. Hmm? And this, this message we carry is the complete opposite of this world. Because this world is about fighting for our rights. It's about standing up and saying, well, I believe and I think. And that's when the gospel comes in. It says it doesn't matter what you think. Because it's no longer you that live. But Christ that now lives in you. Because my kingdom is not from here. See, God had to do a, a huge work on me because I was a good fighter. I... I enjoyed it. Now our church, the other preachers in town are making fun of us as that church. All they do at that connection is talk about love, love, love. And I always say compared to fear, 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 hate, hate, hate. Well, brother, you know there's more in the Bible than just love. You know, oh, you got to correct people. I said, well, love corrects. To those he loves, he corrects. There's correction in love, but it's not done according to violence. It's done according to the heart of the Father in love. And until we get to this mindset, church, it's time to stop fighting. You, you, you don't stop fighting your children. Stop fighting your spouse. Stop fighting your boss. Stop fighting City Hall. You're not going to change City Hall by fighting City Hall. Well, we're in a culture war. No, that, that's too much Fox News. Been reading too much Bill O'Reilly. We're not in a culture war. We're here to redeem the culture, not fight it. You don't change anything by fighting. That's how the world functions. That is why Jesus' message, listen, I don't know if you ever thought of this or not. Please hear my heart with this. The apostles were not being boiled in oil, hung upside down on crosses, crucified, beheaded because of a message about heaven and hell. 
18 sermons in the book of Acts. None of them were about the afterlife. They were being beheaded because they were talking about a new Caesar, a new government, and it was completely the opposite of everything Caesar was teaching. And it was growing like crazy. Matter of fact, you know that the first 20 years of Christianity that Rome thought it was a sex cult because they would greet each other with holy kisses? And they called each other brother and sister. Rome actually thought, those, those Christians, those people of the way, that's a sex cult. I'm like, anyway, that made me laugh when I read it. I was like, you got to be kidding me. In other words, their mindset was, man, these people love each other so much, there's got to be something crazy going on. This just can't be right. Got to be something going on that we don't know about. But yet when Jesus comes, he shifts everything. If my kingdom were from here, my servants would fight. It's time we put the swords in the sheath. Nothing wrong with having a sword. Uh, Just stop cutting people. Stop pulling the Bible out to cut people. Stop screaming at the world. Uh, Stop pulling out your finger of judgment. You got to get right. They were being killed and crucified beheaded and boiled in oil because their message was the complete opposite of the kingdoms of this world. Because in the kingdom of this world, the first is first, but in the kingdom of God, the last is first. In this world, you climb over people to become successful in the kingdom. The greatest success are the servants. Because you see, we in this kingdom... We're not looking to be an army and we're not a kingdom of servants. We're a kingdom of sons who choose to serve. And uh, if someone come play, it'll shut me up. Thank you. Uh, Lord said this to me about four months ago, and I'll, I'll stop with this. And it really shook me. He said, your whole life you've been taught that your number one purpose as a human on this earth is to serve God. And I'm like, yeah, we're all here to serve God. He said, but isn't it interesting that when God showed up in a body, in the incarnation, God becoming flesh, Jesus showed up and said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. The creator washed creation's feet. Jesus is our example. And when God showed up, he came and served us. It's real quiet right now. And all of a sudden, I was questioning it. I was like, I was like God, I, this don't sound right. He said, what did Jesus come to reveal above everything else? He said, he came to reveal the Father. Every parent serves their kids. Kids don't serve their parents. See, if he's still on that that judicial throne, you're here to serve me. My serfs. Dumb sheep. That's not what Jesus came to reveal. Jesus said, I'm here to show you something about Father Abba that you had no clue about. Because there was a veil. I'm going to talk about that veil a little bit tonight. There was a veil over your face. You could not see Daddy clearly. He was skewered to your understanding. But I'm now here to show you that no man had seen God at any time until the sun showed up. If you want to know what God looks like, he looks like Jesus. Jesus. 
I see my kids are now grown, but I still serve their destiny. My heart and my, my thing is I want to see my kids successful. I want them to become everything that they're supposed to be. Why would we not think the Heavenly Father would be any different? Now the difference is my kids now, they're a part of also now my church and they serve on the worship team. But the difference is this, they don't have to serve. But because the Father loved them so much and showed His love and willingly lays His life down for them, they want to serve. There's a difference. It's not a struggling, a striving, and an agonizing. It's not something I have to do or I'm forced to do. I understand that my Papa is so good. How could I not in return mow the yard? How could I not make up my bed? He's been so good to me. Yeah, we put chores, but especially when our kids are little, man, they don't do nothing for us. They keep us from sleep. We are at their beck and call for years. And it's exhausting. But not one parent regrets that either. Where do we think we got that from? I think we got it from an image that was imprinted in us before time began. And that the Heavenly Father's heart is so for us that no matter what we're going through, listen, as our sister said, when you're going through the crap of life, He's a very present help in time of trouble. Heavenly Father is there and He's like, man, listen, just because you don't feel me doesn't mean I'm not there. Just because you're not hearing something right now doesn't mean that I'm not right there in the midst of this with you. I'm a good father who's for you and not against you. So learn how to rest. Stop striving. Stop agonizing. Stop fighting. I learned how to Nate Wednesday night preached at our church. I don't know if he did the last time I was here, but he preached a message called Rip, Rest in Peace. So why is it that we always put R.I.P. after people die? When we that are in Christ died 2,000 years ago and we can learn how to rest in peace while we're still alive. That we need to learn how to live in Rip. R.I.P. that we can rest in peace because his kingdom that is within me is not from here but it is for here. Because when I release this kingdom out of me, I should be the one. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall inherit the earth. There's something about learning how to bring calm in the midst of situations. Anybody can blow up. And I'll tell you this, the more mature you become, the less you blow up. Because love is not easily angered. Anything that's causing you to be easily angered is a trigger that you need to deal with. We'll blame it on someone else. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Yeah, but why'd you respond? It wasn't that big of a deal. Because that wouldn't set me off. Why is it setting you off? If it's setting you off, it's not that person's fault. It's something inside of you you've not dealt with yet. Because love is not easily angered. And if something causes you to be easily angered, it's an issue with you. Good preaching, brother. Hallelujah. It's not their issue. It's your issue. You don't know what my boss did. Yeah, but why'd you get so mad about it? It wasn't that big of a deal. 
if it caused you to be that angry, maybe there's a daddy issue in there you've not dealt with yet. Maybe there's a coach issue from when you were in eighth grade caused you to be angry you've not dealt with yet. Just, just maybe, maybe something is triggering something because the more you walk in love and peace, the less you get easily angered. You just start to chill. I mean, I think that's why grandparents do a great job now raising the grandkids. My kids tell me, you would never let our, me do that. I'm like, well, I'm chilled. I've grown. I've matured. I mean, I used to get ticked off if you knock milk over. Now my granddaughter, oh, it's okay, baby. It's just milk. You know, I mean, I'd have freaked out in my 20s. Overspilt milk. It's not that big of a deal, man. You spill stuff too every once in a while. My kingdom isn't from here because if it were, my servants would fight. Now let me read this. Stand to your feet if you would. I was waxing a little eloquent one night. And I wrote this down because I can write it sometimes better than my scratchy voice can say it. How this applies to us as our life in Christ is the gospel proclaims a king and a kingdom that is not enforced through power and violence, but love manifested through forgiveness. Jesus came to show us what Adam should have, that love and forgiveness is the real power to change the world and not what the Edenic Rebellion produced in its offspring, which was a world organized around power, violence, and murder. The cross was the ultimate example of how this kingdom would be inaugurated through humility, peace, self-sacrifice, and enemy love, and not through a violent takeover. Jesus came to show show us that this kingdom increases not by forcing others to believe your ideologies, but by laying down your agenda and life for your fellow man. This is why the kingdom of God and the true message of the gospel is the most radical and revolutionary idea that has ever been introduced to this planet. Because it goes against everything we want to do. And the older I'm getting, this gospel's beautiful. I love preaching it more now than I ever have. Because it's a thing of beauty. And it helps when you learn how to walk in more peace. And you stop struggling. You stop striving. And you stop agonizing, knowing that your Father, it's His good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, chill. Relax. No good thing will He withhold from you. His, His heart is for you and it's not against you. So bow your heads, would you? Father, I thank you today for your absolute amazing love for us. Lord, I ask that you help each and every one of us here that have perhaps been struggling with with fighting and agonizing and striving to earn something or to be better or or to fight ourselves. And Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit today would just flood each and every one of us with peace. Lord, I thank you that the exchange is already a house that's not known for its fighting and warring with the community, but this is a house that loves this city and this region and this community. I thank you that we'll never change anything by striving and agonizing and fighting it. Yes, we work in the kingdom, but... We know we're not saved by those works, but we are saved for them. 
And so we do work, but our work is not striving. It flows out of a place of rest. Teach each and every one of us that, Father. We'll thank you for it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now I'm going to ask everybody to do something with me. Would you just, would you raise both your hands? Would you do that? And I want you to pray something with me, and then I'm going to release something over you, and then uh, we'll be done for today, this part at least. Pray this with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your kingdom that dwells within me. It is righteousness, peace, and joy. I receive your peace. So flood my life with your peace today. Remove the struggle, the striving, and the agonizing. Teach me how to rest, to flow from peace. Release your peace out of me all this week, everywhere I go, everything that I do, in the name of Jesus. Now with your hands still raised, Father, I declare right now, you said, peace have I, peace give I unto you. I I just release peace right now over every storm in your people's lives. I release peace over your people's finances, over their families, over their emotions. I, I speak peace, Father, over relationships that have been strained in their lives, whether it be at work or at school or their family or their neighborhood. Father, and we just release the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We thank you that when we cannot figure it out, you give us peace, supernatural peace, Father. For your kingdom is not from here, but it is for here. And we thank you that it is your peace that floods our hearts and our lives. We bless you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to do something uh, before pastor comes. I want you to turn to at least two or three people and tell them, stop fighting and struggling in Jesus' name. Come on, turn and tell them, stop fighting and struggling. Thank you for listening to the Exchange Church Podcast. Follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for the Exchange Church Houston. If you would like to give to the Exchange Church, you can go to our website at IamTheExchange.com and look for the red button in the top right corner labeled Give Online.